Hey, DJ Flook here from Stadium Scenes Main Event. Networking has become more important than ever, so why are you still carrying around paper business cards that end up lost or in the trash? Our friends at Link have created a solution to that problem by getting your contact info directly into that person's phone with a simple tap from your plastic business card, a bracelet, or even an Apple Watch band. When it's time to update your contact info, make the change in their easy-to-use networking app. For listeners of Stadium Scenes Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code StadiumScene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com. That's L I N Q A P P.com. There's a lot of people in the sports world nowadays athletes, media personalities, bloggers, podcasters, video producers, influencers all with amazing stories to share about how they got to where they are today and where they're going tomorrow. I'm DJ Fluke, and along with my partners, Kate Thompson. I'm sorry, I didn't go to a college that has football teams, so sometimes I space out. And Jillian Fisher. Hey! Oh my gosh, I alerted my pug, and he's like, oh no, don't bark, please don't bark. We're here to share those stories in something we like to call StadiumScene.tv's main event. Hey, before we get started, this episode was also recorded as a video, which is available on YouTube via the description of this podcast episode. Otherwise, enjoy the show. So welcome. We have another uh, full episode uh, for you. Hopefully, you know, in our last full episode, Kate asked a obscure question to a member of the White House press corps, which I still can't believe she did. But you know, that's Kate for you. But have you know, ever not shocked you? No, you haven't. But this might be a new high or low, depending on your perspective. <laughs> but uh, but looking over here on uh, on my left side here, you, our guest shouldn't need any introduction. You've seen him on TV before, but. Uh, if you've ever watched Sports Center, if you've ever watched Wipeout, you've seen our guest today. Please welcome John Anderson. Thank you for having me. I want to know what you asked the White House press corps. Uh, Major Garrett, I consider a pretty decent friend of mine, uh, and so I, I don't know if it was him, but was, I, I'd love to find. I'd love to know what you what you 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 know bombarded them with. <laughs> I asked what their spirit dinosaur is. You're, you're uh, and did you get a good answer? I'm not sure I have that variety of dinosaurs. You know, paleontology is not really my thing. I don't know what I have. Uh, did, did you get a good answer? Yeah, he said Velociraptor, which totally is right up there and a great right. to, to be somebody yeah. sitting in the White House asking questions of a the press secretary, even the president of the United States, you, know, I mean, you kind of right. have to be a Velociraptor to get to that point. Yeah. See, I would say Steve Levy, but I, you know, I don't even know if that's an actual type. Oh. I just know he's really old. <laughs> oh man we're, we're off on uh firing on all cylinders today so far so let's let's jump right in obviously you've been with espn for 20 plus years i just got an email yeah. from espn plus telling me what i need to watch tonight so i will have to check that out afterwards but you majored in journalism you went to mizzou obviously as we can see behind you yeah you're, you're i hide that don't i <laughs> what what was the moment where you knew that that journalism was what you wanted to do. Um, I tell you, that is, uh, it was, it's either when I was about seven or uh, the clarity after my senior year, or just before I graduated when I was 18. 
I say seven because I grew up watching local news and, and just thought I'm going to be um, Al Jerkins or Bill Jarts or Ken Lass or John Campbell or Daryl Burnett, all the local sportscasters that were on my TV for those three and a half minutes at six and 10. And, you know, I, I watched, I mean, just couldn't get enough, right? And I would pray that they'd come out of breaks at different time, now that I know the technology. But, you know, so that I could spin and if I could catch a little of all of them, you know, uh, I'd watch one guy for sure and then I'd flip over and see if I could catch him. Whoever, whoever got on first was the guy who got my attention. And I thought, boy, I would love someday to do that, right? That, that just, that was, that was my whole thing. I had a professor at Mizzou who worked in Green Bay and it, it almost ruined my career before I started because he, he, he said, um, you know, I used to work in Green Bay. He was a news reporter. And I said, really, for what station? W-B-A-Y. And I said, yeah, I don't remember ever seeing you because I didn't watch that. I, you know, they tell you 70% of people turn off in local news, turn off their TV after weather. Well, I'm of the 30% that turned it on after weather and watched sports. And so I, I kind of had that in my, in my mind. That's sort of really what I wanted to do. And, and I knew if I went to journalism school, I would have to go to the University of Missouri. I was going to go away from home and because of the reputation. And uh, I went for a visit down there. And two of the anchors that were uh, at the, the student-run KOMU NBC station down there had been in Green Bay. So that was sort of on the burner. That, that was there. I was going to go to the University of Wisconsin because I grew up a Badger for anything else. I don't care what it was. If I was going to be a dairy farmer or get into actuary science, didn't matter. I, that's where I was going to go. And I call uh, the track coach at Wisconsin uh, because I, I ran only really one year and for about two weeks of my junior year. And lo and behold, I went out for track and I had this phenomenal season, like out of nowhere. Literally, you want to talk about a guy from out of nowhere. So I call the guy in Wisconsin. I say, any chance I can walk on and maybe run at that place? And Bloodstar, he was a wonderful man. And he said, you know, John, I, I recruited a, a, a high jumper. We're really high in him. And I, I just, I don't know that there's a place for him. And so, by the way, he made the right choice. The guy he, he uh, recruited was a fellow named John Bear, who I had known from Tomo. John won indoor titles in the Big Ten. He won an outdoor title in the Big Ten. He jumped seventh. He was phenomenal. I called the coach at Missouri, a guy named Bob Teal, wonderful man. Uh, and it would turn out to be the most influential person in my life, aside from my parents. And he said, John, come on down. We would love to have you there. I surrendered on the spot. Now I'm a journalism major for sure. And at least I was in the right spot. Um, as it turns out, DJ, if you had called Coach Teal and said, can I come running? He said, come on down. We'd love to have you. I didn't know that till afterwards, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but, and Kate, he would have said the same thing to you. Uh, he was just a wonderful, gentlemanly old man. And track's not like football, right? You can football. You walk on, that's a hard deal. Track is like, here's a pair of shorts, here's some shoes, there's the golf course. If you're not any good, I'll run you off in two weeks and I have to worry about you. Um, so I tell people, yeah, I was heavily recruited, but I also, you know, just I fell into the right spot. But yeah, come on down, we'd love to have you. So he got me. But I, so it was either when I decided, yeah, out of high school, I'm going to go to Missouri. But I really grew up watching these guys and thinking, boy, that, that's what I would love to do. And, and somehow I managed to... Uh, you know, a lot of guys, it, it, what you want to be at eight isn't what you get to be at 55. And I'm really lucky that that's happened in my life. So while you were in college, since you already talked about it a little bit about why you went to Mizzou, did you get mm -hmm. any internships um, while you were there? I did not. Um, because 
one, I was far away from home, so I always wanted to get home. Um, and the other part is I went back and I had to work in the summer. You know, um, I had to, to do some, at least the first two years, then I had to come back, long story, and, and ended up back taking a, a, a class in, in summer school one time. Um, so I never did. Um, and I dearly paid for that early on when I went out to KOMU, right? That's part of what makes Missouri special, at least in, especially in the broadcast field, is that there are a lot of colleges that have the student station, right? But the J School um, is a license with the curators to a regular old KOMU NBC station. Just like in your neighborhood or anybody, it's a regular NBC station. I took a producing class and I missed back time and I went right into Johnny Carson's monologue and I got yelled at like a real life person. I did not get a good grade that day. Um, right. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the real deal. So when I first went out there, Kate, right, like these people that had internships and done that, I'm like, these people are the smartest people in the world. I have no shot, you know? Um, but as it turns out, if you're, you're smart and pay attention, you, you can catch up. Um, but I would put on the back end of that. I think they're really necessary into that end. Um, after I signed my second contract at Missouri, I got together with uh, Fred Brown, God rest his soul. Fred was a, a recruiter at ESPN. He recently passed away, uh, by the way, and a wonderful Cubs fan. Um, and so a tragic loss uh, for everybody. Such a good man. But I went with Fred and, and Mark Shapiro, who was running ESPN at the time. And I said, I'd like to do something in Missouri. And we established a scholarship, uh, an internship. Uh, for a Missouri student to come out every year now. And we've done that for almost 20 years. A couple of years, our candidates were great, and they took two. So over the last 17, 18 years, we've had 20 different kids come out. Uh, bless her heart, Sonia this year couldn't come out. She had the internship, and then she wasn't able to make it because of the COVID, and they canceled it. Um, and so, and I offered to pay, like, I will pay whatever the 12 week position is. But ESPN was nice enough, they took care of that for us. Um, so I think it's really important. I think, you know, to get that, especially in this one, it's a really valuable, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't know about being a nurse or, or a architectural engineer. I'm sure anybody benefits from being around professionals, see how they act, make contact, see how it works real life, real time, real speed. And so even though I never did one, um, like I said, I, I wish I had and finding the importance of it, I, I, I tried to kind of give that back and we've had a really nice successful uh, run with Mizzou kids being able to come out here at ESPN and uh, summering in Bristol because I tell them, boy, there's no, even when even when I leave here, whatever it is, if I retire, I'll, I'll try to keep a summer home in Bristol because, gosh, who who wouldn't want to be in the middle of Connecticut during the summer? I've not been up to Connecticut, but I hear good things about the. I, I mean, I've, I've been to Massachusetts in the winter. I have to imagine it's probably comparable, but I'm, yeah, it's one big Courier knives painting man you, 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 you don't want to miss it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's winter is one of those things i don't miss anymore uh <laughs> as you probably are aware of mm -hmm. uh you know mo moving on when you you know you, you had a couple stops along the way after college before you made it to espn you know you, mm -hmm. you were in columbia tulsa you made it to phoenix for a few years uh you know what was your big takeaway from from your stops along that that kind of like what prepared you for espn or what what do you think best prepared you for ESPN? Um, I think probably there's just some collectiveness of, of the experience, right? Or the seasoning. I, I think there's a little difference between both of those things. You know, experience is just the straight number of reps you do, but I think there's seasoning to be had in, 
in knowing what's what's the right story, what's the right thing to pull out of a game, where 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 did it really turn? Um, it is really how do you you know when is the coach BSing? Uh, when is the coach telling you the truth? When is the coach telling you something because the greater message is to his team? And some of that is you know it's a little like driving. Uh, my daughter is trying to get her license now. Uh, you know, they tell you, great, you got your license. Now in 10 years, you'll have seen most everything you need to see. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. In about 10 years in the business, you'll have seen about everything um, you're going to need to see to kind of feel. And you, and you just can't hurry that at all. You, you know, you can't, uh, you can't cram it all into one day. You can't cram it into one month. You can't cram it into one job. Uh, and then I think I was really fortunate that I've been in a lot of jobs in here, right? If you look, I was in Tulsa for almost eight years and I had a lot of different jobs. I started there as a part-time news photographer, um, edited during the week, was the photographer on the weekend and sometimes helped produce the 10 o'clock show. Uh, then the fellow who was the weekend or was the main sports photographer left, a guy named Jerry Murphy went to El Paso, another Mizzou guy. And I jumped in and I got that job. So now I'm shooting full-time, but at least I've got my, I'm wholly in the sports world. Uh, then my sports director, um, he had a non-compete, but he went to another station and they had a third guy position open up. So I went and took that. So now I'm still shooting, but now I'm reporting at a regular on-air gig in terms of reporting. Then the weekend guy, uh, in one of my favorite stories, he went and he went to adopt children in Russia and he went, uh, he was supposed to be there for two weeks. He was gone two months, came back and a month or two later quit. So then I was the weekend guy. So I ended up having four really good jobs, but I got to keep the same apartment where most people, right? You end up in, you could be in Wichita Falls and then you could be in Amarillo and then you could be in Corpus Christi and then Tulsa. So I was really lucky in that regard. Um, but all those things, I had a bunch of different positions. So I think you get to see a larger picture um, were really, really helpful. Um, I don't think you can replace the, and I don't mean this to be funny. I don't think you can replace the experience of, uh, you know, being, at a rodeo one day and watching OU in a really big football game with Texas uh, two days later. Um, Tulsa is a great market for all those reasons. You had four major colleges. And when I'm there, suddenly they fire Tom Landry and they put in Jimmy Johnson, who had coached at Oklahoma State. So now we're down at the Cowboys all the time. So it really was an unbelievable spot to go to. And then Phoenix was great because I learned that even when you think you're really good, um, the guy in the news, rock, news director's office is the one who cares. And I tell everybody, uh, I worked on a great staff, a guy named Vic Lombardi, who now does altitude stuff and was a, won a billion Emmys over in uh, Denver, which is where he's from. Best local news guy, uh, local TV guy in sports I've ever seen. Uh, worked with a guy named Paul Calvisi, who ended up on Fox Sports San Francisco for a long time when they did regionals, and now he's back. Uh, two producers, one that went to be a great um, – uh, a longtime anchor in El Paso, uh, another guy who was in Mo ended up as a producer in Monterey, a photographer who had won numerous. So I was in this wonderful staff where I learned from these guys, and 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 the news director wasn't going to renew a single one of us. First Vic left, and then Paul left, and my contract was going to be up. And as I tell people, right, when they, in this business, if they tell you you're not going to be renewed, right, that that's getting fired. I mean, you can say mutual parting. They had a parting of the ways. If you think you're going to come in one day and they tell you not to come in that day, that's pretty much being fired. Um, luckily, I was out before my contract ended, 
Uh, but that was clearly writing on the wall. And so that was an experience too. That you're like, you may think you're really good, but if that guy in the news director office doesn't think so, you know, good luck finding the next job. As it was, I, I lucked out and, uh, and, and, and fell into a job here in Connecticut and that's gone pretty well. So how, how did the opportunity come up? Jinx. Same. With, with, so ESPN was really, uh, I had an agent at the time named Greg Willinger and I will forever, he no longer represents me, but I will forever be grateful because I had come out here to, uh, he, he got ESPN to look at my tape and I came out here to interview. And uh, I try to alibi this. Everybody has an excuse, right, when they didn't do their best. So I will tell you mine. I came out the day after my grandmother had passed away. And uh, my mom's like, your grandma would, I mean, it's not quite like they wanted you to pitch in the World Series, but it's like your grandmother would tell you to go and you know she would tell you to go. So I went, I was not terribly good. It was not really impressive. I was not at my best. Um, and uh, although the people were wonderful, but they hired a couple of people in front of me. In the interim, I had gone back home to Green Bay to interview for a job and CNNSI when that was a thing in Georgia. And I got offers from both of those places, CNNSI and Green Bay. And so my wife and I were sitting, we were skiing with a dear friend of mine and we were in Colorado and my agent says, okay, call me and we're going to call whatever it was Wednesday morning and give me that decision. We'll get back. I said, okay, that's great. So I talked to my wife, we, you know, we're over it and this, that, and I'm like, I'm going to have to call my mom and tell her I'm not coming home. Right. By the way, if you want your parents to think you don't like them, live in Green Bay, go to school in Missouri, then go to Oklahoma, then go to Arizona. Right. Like when I called to tell her I had a new job, she pretty much thought it was going to be Acapulco. Like I was just not going to be here. I, um, I have a similar trajectory. I, my parents, my parents have lived in the same house that that I was right? born in, in Indiana, north of Indianapolis. I went as soon as I got out of Purdue, I went right to Chicago. I lived there for eight years. And I told him I was moving to Phoenix, and you think I stabbed my mom in the heart when I told her that news that I had accepted right. a job out here. It was always, where did we go wrong raising you? And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> independent? You know, I'm not in your basement. I, I feel like I can go out of my, you feel fine, you know? But no, they, yeah, they somehow they find, they take offense to that. <laughs> uh, but we're in there, and I, so I called Greg and I told my wife, I, you know, we decided you probably got to go to CNNSI because. Whatever that next job is, it's probably easier saying I've been at a major news network than in Green Bay, even at this sports record. So I called Greg and I said, all right, uh, we've made the decision. And he interrupted me and said, you're going to ESPN. And I said, I am. And he had called them back. And he just said, hey, Anderson's about to sign with CNN and you're going to lose him and you will regret it. And he talked him into it. And, and so next thing you know, my wife and I are packing up the car and we are driving from um, – from, uh, Phoenix all the way out here, which was great. We had a little time. We drove everywhere. We, we, we stopped by and saw everybody. Things you couldn't do today because of the pandemic. But we, you know, crisscrossed the country and whether it was Oklahoma or Kansas City or Chicago, Michigan, we just all the way out until uh, we got here and, and, and have been here ever since. I tell you, if somebody's made at least half of that drive, that, that part from the panhandle of Texas, oof, that gets boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the nice thing is, too, it's so flat, right? Like, you yeah. think you can, I mean, you just see for, it's the old joke about Lubbock, right? If you, if you stand in Lubbock on flat-footed, you can see for 10 miles. If you stand on a tuna can, you can see for 150. I mean, it is just that flat, right? So you're like, we'll just drive till we get to that gas station. You're like, I think the gas station is 800 miles away. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a long drive, but it's good. It's good. America's a great country. Everybody should get out and drive around and see it.
<laughs> so what's your favorite or most memorable moment from on Sports Center? On Sports Center. Um Boy, that's that's really uh, you know one of the one one there's two that really stand out prominently. One is terrific, and one is a little um, more um, what's the right word um, morbid. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the fir the first Super Bowl I did, which I'd been here about two and a half years, three years, so it was a pretty quick rise. And I was uh, it was when the Buccaneers and John Gruden beat beat the Raiders. We were out in San Diego. And after the very first one where I botched the pronunciation of Embarcadero Park, um, never rely on a teleprompter when the sun's in your eyes. From all, I just turned on, <laughs> I'll just say Embarcadero. It's fine. We'll be okay. Um, but I was standing there, and I was sitting there, and I'm, it's after the Super Bowl, and I'm sitting next to Dan Patrick. I am doing the Sports Center after the Super Bowl with Dan Patrick. And I thought, I, I took a minute, looked around, and I said, I think I am, um, like, I think this is pretty – as close to a I've made it moment as you can have. Um, and then he stole one of my jokes, that bastard. And I learned you should never give away a good line in a commercial break. So, so that was good. And then, and then the other one that really sticks out, which like I said, is, is not was just because it was a, such a um, absurd night is I went, I'd gone to Missouri to do, uh, I was on this board. I, I was there. And so I am flying back on Sunday morning. I am flying from Columbia and I'm going to, or driving from Columbia to St. Louis and then I'm flying to Chicago and then I'm home. And as I get to Chicago, I fly into Chicago, um, the, the, and the name escapes me, uh, uh, Fernandez, the, the Marlins pitcher, the young Marlins pitcher who oh, dies in the boating accident. Jose Fernandez is killed. Yep. And so I'm calling my wife, so I'm in Chicago, I look, I'm gonna make good time. And, and I realize this is, this guy's is gonna dominate our story. Um, I guarantee you, well, I, you know, you've been around at that point. This was what, it was not five years ago. It was less than that. Um, so I know we're going to have Pedro Guerrero, uh, Pedro Gomez, which is great because I've known Pedro since I worked in Arizona and he was with Dimebacks as a beat reporter for the Republic. Um, so I know I'm going to have him and we're there. Um, and what, at the time, Chris Berman and Tom Jackson were still doing the blitz. So when they did that, that took up so much show that you really only needed one anchor. So now you're the only person there instead of two. So I go and I shoot uh, the interview with Pedro. I get back and I start writing and, and I'm done with that. And I'm hauling tail back to start typing. And as literally as I'm walking back to, to type the rest of it, Les Miles gets fired at LSU. And I'm like, okay, well that, so now I type a little more and now I zoom back to the studio. And I've got to talk to Paul Feinbaum and we do that. I'm done with Feinbaum and I'm walking back again. The set's over here and newsroom's not close apart. It's a five minute walk. I'm walking back, and as I'm walking back, Arnold Palmer has died. That's right. Wow. So now i got to go back, and now we've changed this whole thing again. Scott Van Pelt, Lisa, is going to come in, so I know I can be rescued there. There's going to be eight minutes in this show where I'm going to at least get a breather, that I can say something to Scott, and he'll be great, And because you know he worked at the Golf Channel as a startup when Arnold had all the money, and, and so I'm like, okay, I'll be able to catch. You know, in those moments, you're like, where am I going to catch a buck? Where am I going to be able to reset myself and go on to the next thing? Um, but that was an extraordinary night to be a part of all that. And then on top of that, to sort of be alone. Um, because those are really, I mean, those are immense. Um, and, and at one point, you know, LSU, the story, here's Les Miles. And you're like, yeah, you're kind of third string on the story thing, right? But you don't want to screw up Arnold Palmer. 
And you don't want to shortchange this young man who had so much in front of him. So those were those were two big ones. You know, the, like I said, the Dan thing was extraordinary because you you had this moment where you think, wow, professionally, I think I've, I'm I'm doing okay. And the other one was really a test of, are you any good at your job? And there's a lot lot of crap going on here, and most of it is all bad. Um, but and but you, you know you don't want to come out and give a show where like hi welcome I know you can't help but notice that I'm wearing a black hood and a, I've got a sickle with me tonight welcome to Sports Center you know you still have to make that palatable to people uh, when it comes through so those are those are extraordinary moments that I'll that will make the book that I will never or have no interest in writing. That that was a tough stretch. That was in 2016 because um, we had just lost like two months earlier, lost Muhammad Ali. I mean, that was a really tough stretch for, for losing people. Yeah, and I was a part of that. That was astonishing when we did Arnold, or Arnold when we did Muhammad Ali, um, because we, Mo, I was doing the 11, and the 11 had gotten over, and we were sort of all, you know, uh, sort of, uh, to be a cynic, you're like, okay, looks like we avoided that tonight. You know, we'll be able to, and Bob Lee had driven home, and then boom, it, it hit before we left. So everybody turned around and got suited up, and we went right back on air. Um, and we were on air for what was it, four and a half, five hours, commercial free, um, where other people broke into ten minutes. To we were on the air for five hours between I was on set, Bob Lee was on set, Scotty was on set, and then we're you know we're waking Teddy Atlas up with Joe Tessitore in the middle of the night, and there's Teddy throwing punches at three in the morning, and just he's always fired up and. You know, yeah, so that, that was extraordinary as well um, when that happened. And, and I just, there's something about that. I was on set when John Wooden passed away, not to go like, hey, who are your greatest hits of obits? Uh, but, but I learned in journalism school from a very wise man, right? Because most people get their name in the paper twice, when they're born and when, when they pass away. So don't screw either of those up, right? We're lucky in sports, you usually get, you know, a third time and a fourth time. He said most that was his that was his thing. Most people are going to get their name in the page in, in the paper twice. And the first time, you know, all you, you you've done everything in life that you can be summed up in how how much you weigh and how tall you are, twenty one inches and six pounds, right? But by the time there's an obit, the only other time you're usually in the paper or on TV, and so it's like get it right. So every time something like that happens, boy, I revert back to that you know being twenty one years old and sitting in that lecture class and learning that and thinking, yeah, that that really is. Uh, you know, be right and be careful with those things uh, because they're really, really important. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's that's wow. I've <laughs> kind of stumped for words here, but we're going to go into a little bit more positive. Yeah, uh, less somber. You, you got anything else? Yeah, let's bring it a little bit more fun. I while I was prepping for this, I I started digging into the uh, this is Sports Center commercial collection that has been running for twenty five years, and they're just some phenomenal. Yeah commercials and I laughed out loud this morning because I, I stumbled upon the Abby Wambach commercial with you with the uh, ankle injury yeah <laughs> you watched that today <laughs> she yeah, might have been jaking that yeah. <laughs> yeah oh that's just like how are you approached it I mean you know obviously this is just the theme of these commercials that's what we've come to expect but how are they you know you're going to have a, right. a soccer legend walking down the hallway and you need to mock her, her sport. Like, right. The entirety of her sport. Yeah. And, and it's funny because uh, the two I've done that were main soccer ones, one didn't air very long because it got such a poor reception that people thought we were, um, 
we were uh, promoting or endorsing hooliganism. Uh, but it was a similar one where these, these hooligans had shown up and he had these soccer or whatever. We'll assume they're British. I don't know. But they were not, they were not kind gentlemen. Right. Dave Revson, who uh, Dave Revson, who was at the big 10 networks in it. Right. And he, Dave was sitting at his desk and they're standing this group of them and they're chanting at him. The anchor is a wanker. <laughs> and I'm walking down the same hallway with Abby that I do the Abby Wombat commercial, same hallway. And I say something to a guy and I say something wrong and he crashes me in the head with a beer bottle and down I go. And so they decided that maybe that was not in the spirit of Disney and ESPN at the time. And now, I think now that we do, now that we do UFC, we could probably crack people over the head with a beer bottle all the time. Uh, but at the time, that was, that was one of them, you know. And they're really, they're always fun. They're always fabulous. You always look kind of forward to it. It's great because all the athletes involved sort of, it's sort of their, like I said, with Dan Patrick and Super Bowl, it's sort of like now they've legitimized their career. Like that's the biggest thing they can do that doesn't involve commas and a paycheck. Um, so most of them, with the exception, Chad Johnson's the only guy I bet did one with that wasn't really enthused about being there. He was like, when do I get out? When do I get out? All the rest of them are really wonderful and you kind of see them as real people. And so it's always great to do that. And then it's funny how like they'll call and say, hey, we want you to do this one. It'll be great. Okay. And then they'll go, you know what, uh, Levy can't make his at 11 o'clock. Can you do one? And, you know, and now all of a sudden, okay, and, and, and you're doing one that, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to them. You know, sometimes they pick them out. Like, I, I do a lot of our tracks. So when Usain Bolt was there, I got to do Usain Bolt. Um, but I think I, the Manning one got a lot of play. But I think the Manning, when I did the Manning Brothers one, which was fairly prominent, um, I'm not sure I was supposed to do that. I think somebody else, they had written it for somebody else. And that person was either off that day and they didn't know it. And they're like, Anderson, are you here? Yeah. Okay. And now you're in that. You know, those things slide, <laughs> <Next man> off. <laughs> load, slide once. You know, some of them, some of them, they very specific they have. Right. But, but, but for the most part, they can be sort of interchangeable, but they're always really fun. And the guys are always great and, uh, and uh, really accommodating. And then like the last one I did, no, I did one with, well, I did one. The last one I did with Manny Machado, we were doing it. And then, we were shooting it in a place where there was this guy who had all this Orioles stuff on his desk, right? Huge Orioles fan. And so I said, Machado, I said, you should, man, you should sign this guy's desk. So we picked up his desk calendar and just signed it. Go birds, giant and the thing. And then we covered it up. And so then one of the directors goes, Hey, did you see Manny signed your desk? And he's like, I don't know. And now the guy's like, how do I take my desk home from work when I ever <laughs> leave this place? Because Machado had done it, so most of them, right? They're they're really they're they're really fun, and they're really you know they're it's such a less stressful environment, right? Usually they're either competing, or you're talking to them about competing, so they're kind of guarded, mm -hmm. or they've just gotten done, so they're either you know elated and can't think straight, or they're really mad because they lost and can't think straight. So they're always kind of fun there to see them as sort of more natural, uh, natural people. And the last one I have to mention, you mentioned the UFC, the George St. Pierre, where he's trying to coax you into his cage for sticky nose. <laughs> Can I tell you something really funny about that? Oh, please do. Uh, so George had a person with him in, in that, or I don't know if it was his personal person or within the production. He had a person assigned to him that just had to oil him up so he looked good and shiny. <laughs> so we'd take a break and they'd go, we need to get George oiled up. <laughs> Dude would come in, oil up George, another take. George got oil. Yeah. Luckily, I was fully clothed and needed. But yeah, he, uh, yeah, he had, we had an oil man for George. Just make sure he was sheened properly for the cameras. <laughs>
So I laughed there for a second earlier when we talked about the Orioles because I kept yeah. hearing Oreos and I couldn't figure out about mm. why so many cookies. Yeah. This, is, this is usually what happens with her. This is pretty. These happen, yeah. Listen, that's fine. This we can go. If you guys need some sort of an Abisco sponsorship, we can keep going. Yes. You know, we can. We can. On occasion, they'll send us stuff, right? Like the, the they have all these new flavors. They have test flavors of Oreos, and some of them, what was it like a cherry cola one was just awful. You know, there are certain things like I get that you need to expand your product line and your brand, but I'm like, how do you? You've made the Oreo. That's pretty darn good. I don't think we gotta mess with that, right? I you know, I, I don't know. Just it's, it seems all right. You know, listen, I wouldn't have screwed with Budweiser either. And it turns out Budweiser and Bud Light's not terrible. I, I won't disagree with you there. Um, and then, like with Chips Ahoy, they put Sour Patch Kids in the Chips Ahoy. It just it doesn't work. It's just too completely independently great. Together, not, not so much. Okay, no. well, you, you got the next question because I, I've been waiting for the question after that. So go for it. <laughs> um, so. I had never seen Wipeout before yesterday. <laughs> that is my honesty. I appreciate your honesty. Full disclosure is great. Hang on. Talking about it. He has left. So here, I'm going to send you. Here, here's here. This is the final episode. Oh wow! Right here. I can send it to you if you want. Got a lot of revisions and all those other things, but I. So I have all of them, and then I just literally ran out of room in my closet. So the seventh and final season is sitting back here behind me under my TV. So anyway, if you need to review, let me know. I can tell you who won. Okay. <laughs> I probably well, see. But I have all hundred and some odd episodes. If you want, I'll mail them to you. Get I, your DVD uh, box set. <laughs> How did you end up co-hosting Wipeout? Yeah, that is uh, how much time you got. Uh, the darndest story ever. Uh, I, I got a, just a, what I thought was literally like a blind email, right? It might have might as well have been a Nigerian prince asking for money is how odd it looked. And it said, they're doing the show, wipe out. And it said, here's how they're casting it. Literally, we want a sports caster. Uh, we want a comedian. We would like a uh, attractive sideline reporter, blah, blah, blah. And I look at that and I think that's kind of fun. That's neat. Okay. But that's not what I do at all. And no shot. And so I just put it aside. Uh, luckily, I, I, it's not that I'm not email savvy, but I, it's more like I'm email indifferent. So it sat there for a while, wasn't even in my deleted items. And so now the guy calls me and he said, uh, one of the producers calls me and he said, same guy who had done Fear Factor, wonderful man, Matt Cunis. And I said, Matt, I, I don't really, I don't think this is what I do. I don't think uh, I'm who you're really looking for. It turns out they had reached out to a couple of us, uh, Matt Weiner, I think Kenny Maine, they, so a couple. Um, and then a, two days later, a guy, David Goldberg, who was the head of Endemol at the time, um, their, their non-scripted program, he calls me, he said, no, no, you're really the guy I want. Trust me on this. At least come out and read for the thing. It's, so now at least I know it's legit, right? Um, so and it's just been between us. And I said, uh, okay. Um, and, and he, he had said to me, it was really funny. He said, you know, listen, I said, you know, I'm trying to be, I get, I do sports, but I'm trying to be like, listen, I'm, you know, journalist and 
down the road, my Missouri degree and rah, rah. And he goes, dude, Howard Cosell did Battle of the Network Stars with Suzanne Summers. You think you can't do this? And so I thought, all right, yeah, you know. And with a little luck, I'll see Adrian Barbeau and things will be great. Um, so now I have to call my, call my agent, who's not involved. And I said, hey, just so you know, I think I'm going to shoot a pilot for ABC. He's like, what the hell? You're doing what? I said, well, I think I got a pilot for ABC. And I tell him the same story I've just told you. And now he's like, I got to get on the phone with this guy. And, and so the producer finally says, can you send me a tape? And I said, uh, Matt, I'd love to. And I, I don't mean this to sound uh, condescending, condescending or flippant, but I said, I've worked here uh, 10 years. I don't have a tape, but I was doing the overnights with Steve Lee. I said, I'm on every morning before, you know, it was before he had morning sports center. I said, I'm literally on every morning when you get up from seven in the morning till noon. You can't miss me. And he said, oh, okay, great to know. So he watched, he calls me back two days later. He goes, hey, I watched and I think you're really good. I think you're really polished, but I'll be honest, I don't think you're that funny. And this is right in the middle of Michael Vick and dogfighting. And I said, well, while there is room for humor in the show, I said, you know, the Michael Vick dog thing does not lead itself to what I feel to be great comedy, um, at least on air. And, um, and then I said, the line that I think got me the job, Kate, is I said to him, I said, but you got on here, uh, I, I, in rereading the, the, the script, the roles, is you got on here a professional comedian. And I said, so if you've got a professional comedian, how funny do I have to be? Because I don't think there's anything less funny than a really funny guy and then somebody trying to keep up. And I think that's when, and so then I went out and shot the pilot, but I think that's when the guy said, okay, maybe this is the right guy because he's not going to be here to upstage the guy who we want to be funny as a whole. And I think that literally, I think that line when I said, how funny do I have to be? Um, and so we went out, we shot the pilot, and I shot the pilot with a comedian named Elon Gold. And then with Jill. So we get back, and, and Matt calls me, and he goes, we've got good news, and we've got some bad news. And I said, well, you know, what do you got? Good news. We've been picked up by ABC. We're going to shoot uh, eight shows and a clip show. We're going to do nine shows. we got a season. Here it is. We'll be in touch with your agent. And I'm like, thank God. I'm tired of doing this work. I'm going to get my 10% back. Um, and then he said, and I said, so what's the bad news? He goes, well, we, we, we don't like Elon Gold. We're bringing in John Henson. I said, oh, great. I love, you know, talk soup. This will be fantastic. Now I'm really geeked. I had not heard of Elon, um, but I, John, I knew like crazy. So I hang up the phone. I'm always like, what's that? And I said, well, there's some irony here. Um, they kept the guy who they didn't think was funny, and they fired the funny guy <laughs> and brought in a new one. Uh, and then from there, we went on seven years. And like I said, I've made great friendships. And on occasion, uh, I was showing guys at work last night. I get a residual check for 89 cents that's coming in uh, here in a week or two. Um, but we had a ball shooting it and ESPN was great. They're like, you can do it, but you have to do it on your time. <clears throat> so I'd work Sunday night till like two 30 in the morning. I'd come home, I'd shower a car and pick me up. I would get to the airport at five 30 in the morning. I'd be on a six 30 flight bounce in Washington or Chicago somewhere, get to LA, start shooting about two hours after I landed. Uh, we'd shoot all day shoot all day the next day, the next day, and then I'd take a red eye home so I could start my oh, wow. uh, be back for ESPN again. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was terrific. So, so 
I'm yeah, gonna ask, before we started recording, you, you kind of hinted on this next one, but I have to ask with, with funny people, you know, when the camera's rolling and the camera's not rolling, right. maybe the same, they maybe not. When the camera is off, is John Henson, <clears throat> how, how is John Henson camera on versus camera off? Is it the same person? Still the funniest man I know. And I think I know some funny people now, right? right? Just really, really funny really quick-witted um <clears throat> the thing i learned there and we we did it was unscripted we had people that called comedy producers so there would be people that would help write some of the things um and i found very quickly that i know a lot of people who think they're fu or who are funny i shouldn't say that think they're funny i think on occasion i'm funny but there's a difference between a guy slipping on a banana peel and somebody making a joke and somebody who's really funny or is a comedian who does it for a trade they go hey here's Look, here's your cup. I need 10 jokes about that in 30 minutes. And they can write a joke about a cup or what's in the cup or somebody, you know. And that's where these people, that's where people like John are really gifted. Um, so like I said, it, you know, anybody, if, if the roadrunner falls off the cliff uh, or the Wiley Coyote falls off the cliff chasing the roadrunner, somebody can make a funny joke about that. But if you're just sitting there with Acme roller skates, <clears throat> who's funny? John is really funny and he really had a hard job because he's powerfully, powerfully funny. So there'd be a joke in there and he goes, we can do that better. And he would, and it'd be really funny. And then the, the person from standards and practices, AKA the censor would go, that is really funny. You can't say it on TV. <laughs> so now he's got to go back and he's got to sell a joke that he knows isn't as funny as the joke he wants to tell. And, or then there'd be some producer would go, well, let's try this. So now he's trying to sell a joke that might be the third funniest joke and he's still got to sell it. And because he's the funny guy, when people watch it, if that joke falls flat, they're like, that guy's not funny at all. And you're like, no, he's really funny. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's just got a bad spot, right? I had it really easy. If I said something funny, you know, great, chalk one up, but that's not expected. And if I said something stupid, they're like, Okay, well, he's not a comedian. John didn't have that luxury, right? Like, you have to be really funny. And if you're not, then they're like, you're a dope. So um, we're great that that ran at 8 o'clock on ABC. But if that had been pay-per-view at midnight, it might have been even funnier. I mentioned they show the reruns on the weekends after the 10 o'clock news on our ABC affiliate here in Phoenix. And, and there's some things where I'm just like, wow, I can't believe they got that past the censors still like the, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago they showed the episode where you have the <laughs> nfl theme um you yep. know, the NFL players appear and at the very end of the episode john disappears off of camera as you're you know you're trying to wrap the show up he takes the water cooler and dumps it on joe wagner's head to, like Woo! So, you know the big celebration and you get to right. you know you get to say his good night and big balls line and then John finds out you said it already and he gets like really upset and he's turned around and he's like, Jill, tell him, tell John, I have big balls. <laughs> I will say this as the show got more popular, you know, we started with nine and the next year we did like 16. And then by the third year, it was the number one, not just in its time slot, but like the number, a couple of weeks, it was like the number one show. So then we did like winter wipeout and spring wipeout and we're like, oh my goodness, we, we kind of ran into the ground. 
But as we became more successful, <clears throat> they sort of allowed us a little more wheel, leeway. We kind of earned our, we were able to elbow out a little more room. Uh, as the ratings increased, some of that melted away and we were able to, I don't want to say get away with more, <laughs> but we were able to, uh, we were able to um, expand what was acceptable joke material. So, and he, but he's, he's driven. Jill Wagner is phenomenal and a new mom. I don't know if you know that. Yes, Jill yeah, had I a baby, which is great. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so army, your daughter's army, your dad was in the military. So, and she just couldn't be nicer. Um, in a pinch, God bless her. Cause her dad, she could be more foul mouth than John, which is just, I'm not sure it's admirable, but it's kind of funny, you know, <laughs> To see her <clears throat> say that, so um, yeah, just really, really fortunate to work with those people, and really fortunate that the thing took. You know, <clears throat> Jill, who has been an actress and reads for parts but doesn't get them all the time, or John, who tries to develop these things and doesn't. <clears throat> Matt Cunis, Endemol, who did the program, right? Fear Factor was great, but they tried different things. You know, they had how to how to escape a game show where it went for a season. Those people are really in Hollywood. I was an interloper and I used to joke, I'm like, I don't know what you guys bitch about with the TV all the time. I mean, I came in, uh, we shot a pilot, we got a hit show and it ran for seven years and then we're done. Like I'm one for one. I don't know why everybody finds this such a hard deal. I don't know what the, I, why, why are you, why are you people having to wait tables? This is, this is easiest thing. It's just, this is not even shooting fish in a barrel. This is just, there's no barrel. I'm just picking up fish right now. How hard can this be? And then, and, and then they all tell me to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I asked my boyfriend if I could ever compete if it came back. And his answer yeah. was hell no, because I get hurt all the time. I can get hurt walking out of the room. <clears throat> so I'll never... Well, I'll ask you this. Are you seriously hurt? Yes. <laughs> she wears a wrist brace every six months. Literally. I'm, I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not. Because, because John Henson always used to say, when people would go, does anybody ever get seriously hurt? And he'll go, well, why don't you define serious? <laughs> right? And we had one where we're like, you guys think we're hurting people. We're actually saving lives. And this is, we had a guy that went on the show. And like everybody else, right? We just beat the living snot out of the guy. And so a, a month or two later, he is still really hurting and really having some, some problems. And so he goes to the doctor because I think he's thinking, okay, maybe there's a lawsuit to be had, right? We always joked. We didn't know if the rider was this thick, you know, that people had to sign away or if it was this thick, like just don't even try. But anyway, so this guy who looked like, turns out had a brain tumor. Oh, wow. Operated on, removed, lived, goes on, life is great. And so now John's like, we're saving lives with people hurting them. Are you kidding? People should come here for a physical to make sure they're okay. <laughs> Dan, you would do great. You would do wonderful on the show, right? Because they always, they, there were 24 people. They tried eight people that were sort of um, everyday people, eight people who looked like maybe they're athletic and could do it. And then they found eight whack jobs <laughs> that would give the show some personality. <clears throat> but you found out all these guys that like were these strapping Adonises and I'm going to go do this, they go. And the first time they wiped out or did something stupid, they realized they were overcome with embarrassment, right? Their whole ego just shut them down and they still had to look cool and they'd jake it, right? 
you'd get a, some housewife and she's like, listen, I got four kids. I made three lunches. I'm used to having peanut butter on my shirt. And every once in a while, a kid throws up on me. You think falling over is a big deal? No. And they go through it. And they were much more fun to watch, gave much better effort than some of these guys. You'd think, oh, look at that guy. He's going to go right from here to, you know, the NFL. And he was in, in the first minute and a half, you go, this guy's a, a clown. You know, and then the other eight, that the eight people were just thought, okay, I'm going to be on this show. Uh, I will be discovered in my two and a half minute run on the big balls, and I will probably replace Ellen uh, or Kelly Clarkson or Oprah and have my own talk show. They've got their their 15 seconds at the starting yep. spot to say their ridiculous line. <laughs> yep. like it went, it became more right. ridiculous as time went right. on. Right, and next stop, Studio City. I'm pretty sure I'll have a talk show. It'll be great. <laughs> Replace. I'll be I'll be the guy replacing Leno, replacing Carson. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, speaking of, of the show, I did read recently that apparently TBS, whenever things settle down from the pandemic, is, is planning on bringing the show back. I'm going to ask, any chance of uh, getting the gang back together for a reunion? It, there is no shot, from what I understand. Um, the guy, Matt Cunis, the guy who hired me and runs the show, called one day. He said, John, I need, to, I need you to call. <clears throat> Are you around? And I thought, oh, sure, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was something, you know, something totally unrelated, right? I had no idea. Maybe his wife, who runs a wonderful diaper drive in Los Angeles, you know, anyway. And he goes, as much as it looks like they're going to redo the show, and don't feel bad, none of the original cast is coming. They don't want to do this because they really, they even tried to get rid of me, um, but they don't realize it's my show and I'm attached to you. Like, so if they're going to do the show, they got, they, they get me, whatever part of it was. Um, and that's fine. I am not offended in the least. I have a great job that I work still five days a week through all of this, which has been lucky. I got, I got one that, son that I just sent off to college. I've got a daughter as a junior. I don't need to fly to LA. I don't need to do that. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. People always go, you're gonna do something else? I'm like, no, that's not, that was such a one-off lucky thing in a life. Like I had no desire to go host The Price is Right or you know, any of these other things like that. You know. I talked to Joe Tess, who does Holy Moly now, right? Like, Joe, you totally, you swipe your show. But, like, good for them, he and Rob Riggle. Like, I, I don't need to jump back into it. It was great. And it's like anything else, right? I'm not sure. Do you want to risk go back? And what if it goes, wow, this is old. It's trite. It's not the same. Uh, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be on the back end of that. So I'm totally fine, and I, I hope it goes well because, like I said, because Matt is still associated with that, then I hope there's great success there for him uh, because he deserves it. and. What he did for me um, and was able to do is, is you know, my, I sent my son to college and I got to, he, um, he won't have any student loans because I was on Wipeout and we paid for college. So, um, <laughs> you know, bully on them if they, if they do go. well. <laughs> yeah. Now, I got a lot of friends and the same crew that work on Cannonball and I hate those people. <laughs> uh, he said tongue in cheek. <laughs> So we got one more, and then we're going to hand it over to Kate for her, uh, I, the questions I have not pre-screened. Nor... All right. Am I going to have to look up dinosaurs? No. Okay, good. Especially because I used the Levy joke, and I'm out. Um, <laughs> so so last, last question before we get into that. How has the, um, how's the pandemic changed how you prep for SportsCenter and, and, you know, and reporting? <laughs> you had months of no live sports other than you know, having right. reruns of cornhole tournaments. <laughs> it's, yeah. It was you know, pretty 
Barron, like what, what was that like knowing that, you know, you don't have the baseball, you don't have the NBA playoffs, you, you got nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, um, it was, it's still peculiar. Um, in, in when you go through that, you know, and there were times we're doing one show a night, you'd work for a couple, three days, safety wise, we do a couple, three days, then literally leave for two weeks, come back. We had certain teams, right? Kenny and I would go three days, Butchie and Eves would go three days, uh, Van, uh, Van Pelt and, would go three days and sometimes maybe an extra one in there. And then, uh, Zubin and, uh, Steve Levy. Zubin, who's now doing a great job uh, on the morning show there for ESPN Radio. So, you know, first off, it was like, I, what am I doing with this time off, right? And you feel horrible. Like, wait, you know, because we didn't furlough anybody. And I got asked to take a bit of a pay cut, but that wasn't, you know, they didn't cut my hamstring. Um, so that was remarkable. And then there were times, I tell you, you almost felt bad because so much of what you did was speculation of when will sports come back? When really you had no idea, right? Because this the, 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 this pandemic, this this disease, the, the virus is has been so unpredictable. We didn't know anything in March. I was on set <clears throat> that night when Rudy Gobert mm -hmm. was uh, announced positive in Oklahoma City, and the whole thing blew up. And then literally was supposed to go on vacation the next day, so I wasn't in. <clears throat> but that changed a lot, so I was on that last show. And so there was all that, and you're like, okay, here we are. We're going to go, this is what it could look like. It could look like a bubble. It could look like this. It could look like <clears> – <throat> and that got hard because you're like, are we doing this because we really know? Are we doing this because we're speculating? Because you and I, Kate, we could all go, well, it's going to have to be this. It's going to have to be that. Um, suddenly the NCAA tournament's gone. You know, so for the first month, it was all just doom and gloom. When is it coming back? We're canceling this. We're canceling that. There's no U.S. Open. The British Open's gone for good. We're going to try to move the Masters, right? It was just every day. You're just like, this is just powerfully just gutting everything we know. Um, so that part was just hard in delivering the news, right? And, and I get it. That's another great lesson I learned journalism. You don't get to choose the news, right? You got to report it, um, even if you got to report it 50 straight days. Um, and so that was really, you know, that part was really hard, that uncertainty. And then just when it comes back now, it's not even easy because, you know, how many people are – have their heart in it and they're trying and then guys opt out and they're worried about their safety and you know or i've just had a son or a daughter or i've got a kid you know pre-existing and so it's still maddening to figure it out it's still there i still think what's amazing is that it has shown that you know every time there's some I, I find every time there seems to be some crisis we try to minimize sports well now that put in perspective we see how insignificant sports is and the longer it goes, just the opposite turns out to be true of how much we need sports, how much people need that for whether it is their uh, outlet for fandom, whether it is their relaxation, whether it is their, uh, uh, you know, their, their, their way to get away. But it, it, it seems to be where we start, you know, minimize. Again, I've always said this, if you need some tragedy to give you perspective on sports, then probably you're not the right sports fan to begin with. You probably don't have it categorized as it should be. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't take a tragic loss of a Marlins pitcher to bring, boy, this brings me into perspective. Um, but as it goes on, you're like, wow, um, this is really part of our culture. This is really something, right? And everybody has something. Uh, my dad, I always talk about sports like my dad is, was a gardener. And so that was, after he got done pouring basements and holes all day, he went to his garden and that's where he relaxed and decompressed. And so, yes, it was his getaway, and yes, it was his place where he went to, to relax, and yet 
he was worried about the weather every day. Is it going to rain enough for my tomatoes or is it not going to rain enough, right? So it was still totally serious to him, right? It was, it was like a passion to that. So while it was, it was this relaxing, it was not, had nothing to do with his health, welfare, taking care of his family. It had everything to do with his well-being, everything to do with how he, you know, he was able to literally do the rest of his life and, and live. And I think that's with sports sometimes, right? It, is it that important that a final score really matter? No. Does the fact that I like the Packers and if they get the Lombardi Trophy, does it really change my life? No. Um, but you know what? On Sunday, that's what I do. And that bonds our family. And Thanksgiving a few years ago, we're like, Brett Favre's retired. Everybody came home. We're going to the game. So there's something, you know, fundamentally I find really important about it that everybody has. And so I try not to minimize it. I don't make it more than it is, but I don't ever want to go, oh, well, it's just sports. Because I think we've proven and I could go show you 15 buildings on my campus that really it's maybe just not mm. you know I defy you to look at you know if you look over your right shoulder and see that W right tell me anybody after the Cubs won that World Series thought sports was just uh, you know it's all right like it's not I don't know what it is I don't know what the the physiology of it is that makes it so with us but it's important and it's okay to admit that right like I don't think there's any shame in that I think you can tell people that sports is really important and it doesn't devalue real issues that affect you every day, whether it's the economy, whether it's how you feel about the upcoming presidential race, whether it's how you feel about, you know, making ends, whatever it is that, that, are, that would be considered significant. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it minimizes that, that, that I, you know, on occasion on Saturdays want to paint my face or I get completely irrational. Uh, because in Missouri's case, some referee can't count to four and is going to give Colorado a fifth down or we're going to lose. <laughs> and luckily that was almost, you know, 30 years ago and it barely even bothers me anymore at all, ever. <laughs> I can tell completely. Yeah, and, and Purdue had that exit in the Elite Eight against Virginia where it's like, you know, they had the lead with, what was it 12 seconds to go and yeah. then you tied it at the buzzer and it's just like that's gonna take a while to to leave yeah, listen, last time i saw last time i saw those jokers they came into columbia and threw the ball around the lot with a damn <laughs> seven on seven game i wasn't gonna say anything <laughs> oh coach brom drew up some yep. ball plays and they just threw that thing around like it was nothing. Was, was that the guy? Was that, I think was that blau that day or whatever who's the guy the the lions just ran yeah, off yeah david blau yep yeah they did i saw they just let him go and i thought that's the same guy that – so I watch him, right? He gets this emergency start against the Packers, and I'm like, I am living this all over again. Here this guy comes out, and you're like, I get it. Purdue, you got quarterbacks, but you're not Jim Everett. You're not Drew Brees. You're not Bob Greasy, and we make the guy look like he's Montana. Look at the Packers salvage that, but, yeah. Yeah, I've seen enough of that guy. David Blau is also the one who was, you know, led the curb stomping of Ohio State a few years ago. <laughs> Yep. Oh, it's yeah. still, I mean, which, sure. by the way, between that and the young and the young man is still one of the feel good stories of of the year. Uh, and and this year, last year, two years ago, and every year. I, I got a got my uh, my Tyler Trent bobblehead. There he is. God here. bless Tyler. Yep. yep. And I want to say too. I was going to say this afterwards, but since it got brought up, uh, you know, Scott Van Pelt had a, a tribute to him after he passed away, which is one of yep. the most amazing things I've, I've ever seen on television and and i doubt he's probably gonna see this but i you know thank you that was that was amazing tell you what here's scott van pelt's greatest gift 
is there aren't a bunch of guys that can burn the candle at both ends. As often as that guy can make you cry with humor because he's doing bad beats or Lou Holtz imitation or whatever, as funny as he can be, he can be equally depth, has equal depth going the other way with caring and compassion and putting words to real emotion without sounding trite, without sounding, you know, just, oh, here, this is flowery, but there's no bad, you know, he's, there's not a lot of people that can burn both those ends and do it so well. And that's where Scotty is uh, uniquely, uniquely gifted. That means six, seven, which is ridiculous. Really? I, I would never guess that. Yeah. And now he doesn't have hair. We, he used to have hair and my, he would in the glasses. I, he wore those and I had these that I just wore never on TV. And then he wore them and I thought, wow, those are great. So I literally stole the idea, right? I'm like, I'm going to wear those too. Those look great. And then, then Joe Madden will wear them. It'll really catch on. Um, but the first time we'd done the show, he'd been, he'd been here. I don't know, not very long, still had hair. And my mom calls the next day. She said, who's the, new guy on TV. And I said, Scott Van Pelt, he, he came over from the Golf Channel. She said, well, I have one other question. I said, what's that? She goes, which one are you? And so now we always joke that, you know, uh, I have hair and he has a pocket square. So now we're easier to tell apart when he, when he comes through. But it's, I'm glad he has his own show because it got to be where they wouldn't let us anchor together anymore because we kind of would get sideways and, you know, I always like to say that the bottom line is the, the final score is always sort of the most important thing. And every once in a while, we might even have forgot the final score was involved. And so and sometimes it's better than, you know, how it is. Sometimes the teachers separate you and it's for the better for both of you. I remember when he did his radio show for a while and I listened to like, you know, his first handful of episodes there were, I lost track of how many times where it's like he had to catch himself from swearing on live radio and yeah. <laughs> eventually got that. Yeah. But yeah, he's funny and, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be with really, whether it's Henson funny, but Scotty's just so entertaining and John Buchagross is that way. And Kenny Maine, I have to read Kenny Maine's things before he says them. Otherwise I will laugh out loud on air. Some people get Kenny, some people don't. I get it. That's fine. There's to taste. Um, but I literally, I, I love him. So I have to kind of dip in to see what he might say. So that, you know, after the, after the Brewers uh, lost the sausage race and Randall Simon got hit and then PETA wanted to have a, a uh, they wanted a vegan sausage in there. And then he, he writes something about like, then I guess slaughtering veal in the outfield is really going to be a no And it's just like, what are we doing? So yeah. So there are times that I've just got to prepare myself and then still maybe turn away on top of that. And, and I remember after that, they had the t-shirts that they were selling outside of Miller park that said like, yeah, the brewers, you can't whack our sausage. <laughs> it's awful, right? And I have a collection of the sausages. I had all four. And then a little kid who was in a hospital in Nebraska said, how come was it like the hot dog never wins? And so I found him the stats and I sent him my hot dog um, plush guy and I sent it to him. And then Tony Gwynn, we were on set with God rest his soul. What a wonderful man Tony was. Uh, when the Brewers drafted his son, uh, I gave him another one of my sausages as a father of the year award on air. I said, here, you need to take this. Um, 
And then, so I have the, I still have the, the bratwurst and I want to say the Polish, but whatever one that Randall Simon clubbed, I put him, he's got a bandaid on his knee still. I just put on, even though it just sits on my desk next to a Cecil Cooper doll, uh, bobblehead. I just, I wanted to make sure he was okay. So I put him, you know, and then, you know, uh, and patched him up. So he's with the Pirates then, and then the Cubs picked him up. Yeah. And he was on the 03. And I just remember, you know, the Cubs signed him very late, like very, right at the deadline. And like the non-waiver deadline, and and people are like who like the guy who hit the sausage and mill. Oh, that guy, yeah. That guy, yeah, <laughs> big fellow. So, Kate, uh, what do we got? What do you have today? Okay, first question. I'm starting easy. Okay. Okay. Are you a cat person, a dog person, or a different animal person? I'm a cat person. My grandmother told me, John, don't ever trust anybody who doesn't like cats. I had a cat in college. I used to have two cats uh, when I got out of college. I had a cat um, before I, when I was in Phoenix that I had to um, sadly put down. She got old. By the way, vets have no sense of humor. She had a liver disease. And I told him, I said, I tried to get the cat to stop drinking and it wouldn't go to the meetings. Um, but I felt horrible. So they said, we were going to have to put the cat down. Would you like to come see it? And I said, yes, I want to say goodbye. Dumbest thing I ever did now, because I'm sitting there petting the cat. I love the cat. Uh, the cat's name was Miss Amelia Penelope Fluffingston. And, uh, and I'm like, you have no idea what I've just done, right? So I'm like, next time that ever happens, and now my wife is allergic, my son is, so I don't get to have animals. But, uh, but I love cats. Leave it at that. I love cats. Movie, so-so, but the actual animal. <laughs> and DJ, that is a normal type of cat name. Mine's Fluffy Rambo the Fluffinator. Yeah, so we just called her, we just called her Amelia, but yeah, Miss Amelia Penelope Fluffington, because I adopted her, and so I didn't want her to feel bad like she didn't have some sort of pedigree, so I gave her one. <laughs> yeah, mine was, um, we named a male cat Fluffy, and we didn't want to make him feel emasculated. Right, you don't want to emasculate the cat. You probably already had it spayed, neutered, and took out its front claws. That thing's had a hard life. <laughs> okay, question two. What do you do to make your omelet your omelet? Like, what ingredients do you put in it? Uh, nothing that would be considered a vegetable. After that, I don't care. If you want to put some sort of, I feel like I'm Ron Swanson. If you want to put some sort of meat in it and cheese and Salsa, um, all, salsa, I guess, technically counts, but I, I don't need spinach. I don't need, you know, fennel. Uh, I don't need onion or green pepper. A Denver omelet, forget it. I, by the way, <laughs> why did Denver invent the omelet? But none of that. I, I need meat, I need cheese, and I'll, I'm, I'm not going to apologize. I'll put a little ketchup on the side and dip it in there. Okay. What song would you sing in your American Idol edition? Uh, American Pie, but I don't want it, uh, but I'm going to tell Ryan Seacrest, I'm singing all seven and a half minutes. Don't take 45 <laughs> seconds. None. And in about 1988, when was Oklahoma? Oklahoma was number one in the country. They were at a regional. They were in Nashville, and uh, they were, they barely won the first round against Middle Tennessee State, and then the next day, two days later, they beat the snot out of um, Louisiana Tech. And in the interim there, I uh, went to a little bar in Nashville, and I sang a, a, a version of um, American Pie. I had my bowling shoes on because I'm from Wisconsin. And this dive bar, that honest to God, I, the fact I was not discovered that night in Nashville still is a bit of a mystery to me. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but I want, but don't give me just, oh, here's one course. I need to have the whole stinking thing. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> okay, what emoji describes your life? I'm not really good, you know, I'm not excellent with the emojis at all. So um, I will probably, I'll do the little guy with the Z's, the sleep one, because I'm either trying to get more of it or not enough of it. So, you know, I'm sort of always perpetually like, I really would like to be that guy. Either I am asleep or I would like to be. So that's probably it. I, otherwise I don't have a, a great emoji meme you know, game. I'm so socially, I'm sort of against Twitter. I don't know if you've seen people in our position, but a lot of times it never seems to work for them. It's generally more against them. Um, you know, it's the old thing like getting your name in the paper, right? People do that all the time. John, can you put me on TV? I'm like, do you realize what a service I could do in your life by keeping you off TV? That's far more valuable. <laughs> or keeping your name out of the paper. Um, so I feel that way about Twitter. Like, uh, so, Butchie is phenomenal on it and, and Schefter, but, there's, but most time that's just a potential trouble. Um, and, and so I kind of stay away from that. And so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go with the sleepy emoji, but I'll be honest, that's a really soft answer because I have no conviction in that whatsoever. Okay. I, have more I have more conviction in my spirit dinosaur than I do in my emoji. <laughs> well, I hope you have conviction in the next answer. Okay. Or your next answer. What makes a good Wisconsin fish fry? Perch, rye bread, coleslaw, and no utensils. Uh, yeah, the, the fish fry, uh, a perch fish, and preferably it should be at a tavern that only has, the only time they serve food the whole week is on Friday for the fish fry. That should be the only time. You know, otherwise, I'll be honest, it's a little too swanky. You know, I'm not a fish foil guy. That's a whole different thing. The fish fry, yeah, you got to have perch. I'd like a double order. And then, yeah, rye bread. And, 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 and then I want coleslaw. And if you want to just put it on a paper plate, that's, I mean, I will eat it like a caveman, and I'm not going to apologize. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I didn't disclose. Kate actually you didn't know what was a thing. I didn't know Wisconsin fish fry was a thing. Kate lived, I didn't suppose this, but Kate lived in Milwaukee for four years. She went to school there. So. Did you live in Chicago? Like, it's only how far to the border, dude. Our, well, okay, it's like 90 minutes to Milwaukee, if that. We wanted, to go, we wanted to go to Wisconsin, and then my folks were like, ooh, great America, let's go ride a roller coaster. Never got there. Come on, man. You're better I, than that. I know the Mars Cheese Castle. I know that. <laughs> Beer, gas, diesel, cheese. When I was home recently, uh, we were during the pandemic. Uh... <clears throat> I'm like, I had an extra week and I said, you know what? My mom is 78 at home. She's in great health, wonderful, but I thought I'm going to go see her. So I drove from Connecticut to South Bend and then went home. And as I drove by, please don't turn me into the cops. I took a shot for my daughter of the Mars Cheese Castle because she loves the Mars, even though they've taken the big mouse off the top of it, which is a shame. Um, but still, yeah. I mean, if you, how do you know the Mars Cheese Castle, but not a fish fry? I mean, I've, I've been to Milwaukee a few times. That's, that's backwards, you know? It's like, <laughs> I, I, you know. I, I, I mean, I, I know some of the things, like, you know, there's the Mars Cheese Castle, there's the Bong Recreational Area. I mean, I, I know some of the bigger, so bigger I still somewhere I still somewhere have a shirt that says uh, Beer, Gas, Diesel, Cheese, because that's, that's what all the 
filling still the gas station say when you come in beer gas diesel cheese what else do you need like if that can't get you, you those are practically the four food groups beer mm-hmm. gas diesel and cheese i also have to say i'm a, I'm a big fan of using her sausage that's Big fan. Yep. I, now, see, I, I, I'm all right, but I probably would be more of a Johnsonville man. What about Kringle? I am not. I, I mean, I don't mind a good pastry and a good donut, but I'm not really a This Just the mere size of it seems like, is this for one? Is this made for sharing? Do I? Yeah. So I'm not a big. The, the Kringle is nice. Um, I had a very nice fan from Wisconsin send me a couple, not more than three or four months ago. Here, here's two raspberry Kringles. I'm like, they've been sent through the mail. I guess it was pre-pandemic. That's how this is screwed it up. So it was, it was before that. But, but it, it's, it's since the turn of the year, you know? I'm like, and, and God bless you. That's nice Wisconsin people are, right? It's just, I always say that about the Packers. They run around town. It's not that we're like Packer worshipers. If we see you at the grocery store, we just want to make sure you're eating right. That's all. And I'm like, this person, God bless her. She sent me a Kringle. She sent me two. Sent me a Kringle. Like, you know, how about just some lining Kugel red, you know? Okay, I think you got one more, don't you? No, that was five. Oh, that, that was, was five. five. All right. You Excellent. Made it and I didn't have to do one of these today, which usually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're better for it because now you know that you should go I, find a tavern. I would go to Green Bay, go to Merrick's Friday, get, get, Get the fish. There you go. Right. So and, then, go. And, and when you sell it, I'll have the fish. They're going to go like, yeah, what else, what else is There's nothing else to order. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you know, sit down. Here you go. Have the, can't have the prime rib. That's not an option. <laughs> oh, man. So this has been absolutely wonderful. Really appreciate you taking time. I to feel it. like I've taken up way too much of your time. I talk oh, too no, much. Absolutely. But I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for and, the in- yeah. I appreciate the indulgence. And I mean, it, you've, you've made it clear. I don't think you're on social media at all that, that I can see. I am not. I'm so, not. And like I said, I really do. I, I, have a, I, have, I have some theories. I've seen too many people burned by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no desire to tweet something and then have people just, because there's n- nothing good. It doesn't matter what it is, right? You could put two and two is four and somebody will say, well, that's the new man. I have no desire to let trolls into my back pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my life is so interesting that I went, you know, hey, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading the latest um, Dan Jenkins book. Well, he's passed away, but I'm reading the latest, whatever it is, golf novel and having a peanut butter bagel. Like, I don't think that interests people. Um, I, you know, I'm proud of my kids, but I don't need to brag about them on stuff like that. And, and then the other thing is I see people are really clever sometimes. And I think, you know what? I'm on at 11. I need to keep the clever you know, I don't have so many clever things that I should be giving them away for free at noon when I might need it on TV at 11. So I just, you know, it's, Neil, Neil Everett and I are holding out. They keep asking us, would you like to be on Twitter? You know, You're or they'll go, you can build off. your brand. You know, it's a chance to build your brand. I'm like, you know what? My brand is ESPN. That's fine. ESPN yeah. is my brand. And, and I will ever be, you know, those four letters after my name will far do more, do more for me ever and have than me tweeting out, you know, crazy. So uh, as much as I would love to go, Hey, let me publicize that we're, we're doing this. I, I, I do not have any of those. I don't have Instagram. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like, picture me as like maybe three inches ahead of Bill Belichick <laughs> with snap face or whatever he always says. So, you know, I mean, Kate, Kate's going to, I'm just 
teen or up right now, but I, I mean, Facebook and Twitter, those all came out while I was in college. I signed up. We didn't know what we were doing back then. Right. I look back on some of that stuff and I cleaned it up. I mean, it wasn't anything horrible, but it's like, man, if I saw that and I didn't know that, I would think that guy's a total jerk. Yeah, and it doesn't go away. Like, it's, it's like people yeah, are laying, I feel like people are laying in wait, you know, like it happens at the NFL draft. Suddenly the kids draft and are like, did you see what he wrote at 14? Oh my God, he was 14. He doesn't know, you know, nobody knows anything. Hell, at 25, I was still a moron, you know? So I told my daughter in Chicago, I'm like, just every guy until he's 25 is just kind of dumb. We are. It takes us longer to get it than most of the average, you know, it's okay. You know, we're not, we're not mean, we're not bad people, we're not rude. We just, it takes us a while to sort of figure out how to be decent to people, you know? EJ, maybe next year. Maybe next year you'll figure it out. Okay. There you go. Come close in. So. <laughs> Something works. Anyway, I will sign off. I'm going to go have dinner. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. The John Anderson. Watch him on uh, SportsCenter. So check us out at stadiumscene.tv, at stadiumscene on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, at stadium underscore scene on Instagram, and we'll see you next time.